go to uh, right here. Let's look at this uh, wonderful passage of Scripture. If I can get it up here. Um, and this thing froze. All right, well, praise the Lord. Can't get it in there, but that's all right. And we're going we're gonna to look here at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Now, we're all different. We know that. We're all different in many ways. Some of you do not have a great sense of humor like uh, me and Bob. Amen. And if you hang around Bob a lot, he'll give you some of these jokes and you just groan. I mean, they are pretty bad, but I like them. I like them. And, you know, he always gets me when I'm right in the spirit and trying to get the uh, passage up together and everything and destroys my studies for the next hour and a half. But they're good. They're good jokes that he sends and all this. The tennis team had no no sense of humor. I mean, we would tell jokes with the tennis team and they would just look at us and, you know, not, well, Emma would laugh. She, was, she had a great sense of humor. But uh, a lot of them didn't have a good sense of humor. You know, we're all different. We're all different, different backgrounds, different things make us excited, different things make us sad. But there's one thing that we all have in common. Are you ready for this? Pain. We all struggle with something. It could be a family member. It, it could be a friend. It, it could be a physical issue. I, I look through the prayer list. I see all of those involved when I pray throughout the week. Um, different things cause grief, heartache, uh, and, and pain in our lives. So I don't care what background you have, what kind of personality you have, where, where you were born, where we all, one universal thing that we all go through is pain. Yes. I mean, think about it. And as we think about that, I want you to think of the church at Smyrna. And, and really, as we look at this passage, they had two options. Either they would bow down to the emperor and bow down to the political pressure, or they were, listen to this, exiled or executed. Now, we don't face that. What we face in our society is either you wear a mask when you walk into a restaurant, or they're not going to feed you. And so you got to deal with that. You know, am I going to wear the mask or are they going to feed me? So some people say, all right, I'll throw the mask on so they feed me. I can care less about the mask. Some people, no, I'm not throwing the mask on. I'm going in there and getting my food and getting out. So that's too big. Well, that's her. Or now we, we face some, some jobs. Either you get vaccinated or you lose your job. But can you imagine if President Biden came out and said, either you get vaccinated or we're going to exile you from the United States. You will not live here anymore. Or either you get vaccinated or we're going to put you in a prison. They're going to beat you and kill you. Now, what would you do? Wow. Think about that for a moment. That's what they're facing. Either they bow down to the political pressure or they're in big trouble. And so let me tell you a little bit about this city here. Let's go to the city, the description of the city. The city, when you think about the city, Smyrna means 
myrrh, or literally it's this perfume, this beautiful perfume that they would put on the dead bodies. And so the smell would make it smell better. And so they would, it, that's what the city means. And it was a beautiful city. In fact, they were a proud city. They would call themselves the most beautiful city in the world. It was. It was a very beautiful, the buildings and all that. You say, show pictures. Well, yeah, I really don't have any pictures of it now. It's all rubble. But uh, the pictures back then, what they said was beautiful trees, beautiful buildings, a beautiful city. And it's the only city out of the seven that we're going to talk about that's still in existence. Isn't that amazing? And um, it's out of the existence of the rubble that's left of it, but it's the only city that, that is still in the existence of the seven cities. But yet, they're struggling. And the Lord's got to come and talk to them. And He's going to give them encouragement. And here is the encouragement that we can have in the midst of all the political pressure in this world. Here's some of the encouragements that we can have. The first thing that we can understand is that our future is secure. Watch this. Look at what he says here. He says, and to the church, the angel of the church at Smyrna write, the first and the what? And the last. He's saying, I, I've been here before Smyrna. I'm going to be here after Smyrna. I, I am the God that is eternal. I am the first, the Alpha, and I am what? The Omega. He's the one that's been there through it all. He is the God over history. And we need to understand that. That he's not just a God that just got here at one day. No, he's the first and the last. And in the Old Testament, when they mentioned the first and the last, it talked about God. He is God. He is the God, the sovereign God over history. Our future is okay because our God is in control. He was here before us. He was here before Whitefield. And guess what? He'll be here after Whitefield. I remember one, one, we were in Bishop Easter one time in this this lady, she's now going there at the church we started, and she's starting to, you know, give me a hard time. And I said, wait a minute, wait, let me just tell you something. I was here before you got to Beja Vista, and I'll be here after you leave Beja Vista, right? You know, she's like, okay, you got me. All right, but the Lord's saying this, I'm here before, I'm here after. I am the God that is atemporal. Time is nothing for God. He is the sovereign God over history, and watch this. He is the one who was what? He experienced death. In fact, a horrible death. I think about the death of uh, the, one of their former co-workers and what happened to her. That was horrible. What happened to Lord Jesus was horrible. They mocked him. They spit on him. And they crucified him. They killed him. He died. Can God die in the human flesh? Yes, he died. He died. He experienced death. And yet, look what it says. He rose again. He came back to life. He's come to life. So here's what he tells the struggling church. You're, you're struggling, but I want you to understand something. I passed through a horrific death. I understand what it is. And not only that, I rose again, he's saying, and I conquered death. And the resurrection, when we think about the resurrection, it guarantees two things. It guarantees, one, that God the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. And we know that the sacrifice of Jesus was okay. But it also guarantees something else. We all will rise. Whether or not you believe in Jesus or not. 
Some will rise to everlasting life. Others will rise to everlasting condemnation. But we will all rise again. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am the first and the last. I am God. I am the sovereign God over history. I am the one that was here before and will be here after. I am the one who experienced death. And I am the one who is alive. Now imagine being part of this church. Here they are. One Sunday they come. Place is packed. The next Sunday there's a few less because they've been exiled or executed. The next Sunday, a few less, because they've been exiled and executed, and they hear, your future is secure, don't worry about it, I'll take care of everything. Look at the next thing he says. He says, I know, and watch this in verse, he says, your Savior knows what you're going through. Look at verse 9. I know, and he knows three things. Look at verse 9. I know, and this is not just know, like just a superficial no. This is an intimate knowledge. This is a great word, no, verse 9. I know something. I Intimate knowledge of this. I know what? I know your tribulation. Because I know what you're going through. I know your burdens. I know, I know the pains that you're going through. He knows. In fact, he, he doesn't just superficially he really knows when people tell us about their problems i know about it i know superficially about it but i'm not intimate in there now he knows what's going on he knows every burden every physical burden every emotional burden every economic burden he knows what's going on and he knows there's no religious exemptions here he knows that they have to make a choice and if they don't make the choice they're going to be in trouble he knows What's going on in their lives? And look at verse 9. He knows their poverty. He knows they've lost their jobs. He knows that they don't have the means to get things that they want. He knows that they're struggling. This word poverty, none of us have really experienced. This is the life of a beggar. They have nothing. They not only have nothing, they have no way to get to what they want. They have nothing. You say, oh, I feel bad for them. Don't feel bad because look what he says. But you are what? All right, now this is fun. I got a letter in the mail. Can you believe this? And they wrote and they said, we just want to congratulate you, Jeremy. You're one of the wealthiest people in, 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 in the world. In America. I go, what? I'm reading this letter. Like, yeah, you, we, we see how you take care of your finance and everything. You're one of the wealthiest in the world. We just want to congratulate you on being one of the wealthiest people. I don't know how they got my, what? I'm the one of the wealthiest. Do they know my bank? I mean, well, unbelievable. what's going on here? How am I one of the wealthiest people in the world? So Johnny goes, maybe they're thinking about your riches in heaven, Dad. Maybe that's it, you know? But here's what Jesus is saying. Look at this. You're rich. How can he say you're rich? Here's how you're rich. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.10. Look at this. This is beautiful. He says this here. 2 Corinthians 6.10. I love this verse here. He says here, one second, I'm getting it up. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing what? There's a strong contrast here between those who are suffering physically in poverty, economically, and those who are rich spiritually. 
one of Chalmers' friends that hangs from the rafters with the Gideons, came into the church one time. He goes, I'm a millionaire. I go, really? He goes, I'm a millionaire spiritually. I got no money physically, but I'm a millionaire spiritually. I'm like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about here. And here's what Jesus is saying. You may be poor. You may not have the things of this world, but you have everything you need in Christ. You are rich spiritually. In fact, look what the Lord Jesus has done. For, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he, yet for your sake he became what? Poor. Don't miss this verse. The Lord had it all in glory, had everything in glory, but left his glory, came, born of a virgin, born in humble means, didn't even have a place for him to be born, and throw him into the, to this place, and born in a manger, comes, dies on a cross. Why? So that we could be rich spiritually, so we can have everything that we need spiritually in Christ. He says, you may be poor, you may not have everything, you may be living the life of a beggar, but you need to know something. You are rich, you have it all. Yes. And then he says this, and I know that there are people who are making false accusations about you. Let me just tell you something, those things hurt. And, and back then they would have informants that would go and tell on the Christians that did not bow down to the emperor. Wouldn't that be amazing if there's informants that tell people that we won't bow down to some political views now and they know and we struggle for it? And watch this. Look at this. It says, and I know the false accusations they're making by those who say they are Jews and are not. These are people who think they're okay with God because of they're, they're physically Jews, but spiritually they're not saved. So here's what he says here. Those who think they're Jews, but they're not. But who are they? They're of the synagogue of who? Wow, this is amazing here. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that when somebody is not a true believer and they get together and they think that they're doing God's work, they're really gathering together and they're tools in the hands of Satan. Wow. And they're doing his work. And they're gathering together because what makes somebody a Christian is not the fact that they come to church. What makes somebody a Christian is their relationship with Jesus Christ. And these are people that are Jews on the outside, but don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're actually tools in the hands of Satan. Wow. The synagogue of Satan. They're coming together and gathering together and allowing Satan to use them. Now what? Well, you would expect in the passage that he says, you know what, I know that you're struggling. I know that you don't have anything, although you're rich. I know that people are saying all these things about you, but don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. That's kind of what we want to hear in the next verse, right? Don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. Uh, <laughs> watch this. He says, don't fear what you're about to what? Something is going to happen to you. You will struggle. I know Audrey got her up on that one. Huh? You will struggle. You will suffer. Things are gonna get are are gonna get hard for you. Things are not gonna. People think I just come to Jesus, nothing's gonna happen to me. That's not true. People think if I just if I just have my devotions, go to church, everything's gonna go all right. No, that's not true. He says it right here. You are about to suffer. This is inevitable. 
This will happen to you. This is going to happen to you. But he says, stop fearing what you can't control. And here, here's the amazing thing about it. The, the fear factor that comes in when we don't know what the future holds and when we're worried about the future and what's going to happen, it paralyzes us. It stops us in our tracks. We're not what God wants us to be. We just stop living life. We can't live that way. So what happens if, I hear people say, so what happens if now another virus comes out and the virus is even more and it hurts people even more and kills people even more? Or what happens if we have to do, and what happens? And all of a sudden, like, all right, that's it. We're all going to die. We might as well die today. I mean, we don't even know what to do. And it paralyzes us. He says, don't, don't fear. Don't let it paralyze you. Don't stop. Don't, don't live in this fear about what's going to happen. Look what's going to happen. He tells them. The devil is going to throw some of you in the prison. And I like the three T's here. Watch this in verse 10. You're going to be what? These are tryouts, by the way. Tomorrow, Johnny and Joshua are going to go out for basketball tryouts. They're not going to make it, but they're going to try out. You know, I don't have much hope in, you know what I mean? I don't know. Italians are not that tall, so it's hard for us to play basketball. I mean, tennis is the only sport we can see over the net. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> at least we're good at that one. Maybe he'll make it, but it's a tryout. What do they do at tryouts? They see what you're made of. He's saying this, you're going to go through a test and it's going to show you what you're made of. What are you made of? Who are you really? Do you really believe in God when things get really tough? When things don't go your way? Do you really trust in Christ? Well, we'll see here, he says. It's going to be a test. Notice the next T there. It's going to be a tribulation. It's going to be a hard test. It's going to be a painful test. One of the reasons why I never joined the army. Boot, boot camp. I'm scared of boot camp. I don't want boot camp. Boot camp sounds hard. I need a hotel. I need, I need stuff. I don't need to live in no tent or on the ground. I need a hotel. Yeah, go Air Force. Amen. There we go. Wow. Some people want to see you in the back there later after this one. He doesn't say it's an easy test. He said this is going to be a really hard test. But watch this. I love this. It's a tribulation. Guess what? For how many days? Ten days. Sounds like COVID, doesn't it? Ten days. Except COVID, 14 days, whatever they say. But you know what it's saying here? And people play tricks with ten days. You know, you read some commentaries, 10 means this, and that means this, and 10 means this, and 10 means that. You know what 10 means? Are you ready for this? 10 means 10. <laughs> kind of hard. I pulled that. I don't know how I pulled that out, but 10 means 10. <laughs> but you know what he's saying? This trial is not going to last forever. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to show who you really are. But it's not going to last forever because God knows our limits. Amen. And he's never going to bring us through trials that we cannot handle. He knows our limits. He knows the length of our limits. Even though we say, wow, this seems like it's going on forever. He knows how long it will last. He knows how hard it will be. And it will show us what we're really about. So, so what does he say to, to this church to do? Look, you're going to suffer. Stop the fear. Stop the paralyzing fear. It's going to be, it's going to come. It's going to be hard. It's going to show you who you really are. It's going to last for just 10 days. So don't worry. It's going to be a trial that's going to end here. Here's what he wants us to do. Verse 10. Here it is. Be faithful. Prove yourself. What? Faithful. 
And what this means is we continue to walk with God no matter how hard it gets. We continue to stay in the Bible. We continue to meet with God's people. We continue to witness it for his name. We continue to serve him. We continue to do the things that matter. We continue to be faithful until God takes us from this earth. No matter how hard. So what happens when you come to church and now only 10 people can meet? You know what you do? You get in front of a camera and you preach the word. You preach the word. Now, I don't like that. I hope we don't go back to that. But if we do go back to that, here I go again. I, I praise the Lord. I was thinking of, of Dan. And I don't want to bring too much. Uh, but boy, the things that he's going through now physically. And yet he's here with God's people. He serves God. He spends time with his family. And he even beats me at pool. That part I don't like. But. but he can easily say, you know what? My life is short. I don't know how much longer. I'm just going to give up on everything and do nothing. No, he's faithful. That's what God wants. We don't know what the schools are going to do. We just became faithful. We don't know what's going to happen in the world with our workplace. We just become faithful. We continue to be faithful until God takes us from this world. He says, be faithful until when? When does it stop? Be faithful unto death. Or we would say, be faithful unto the rapture. Amen. We want that first. But, but be faithful unto death. And interesting there, that word unto is up to death. It doesn't stop when things get hard. We continue moving on by God's grace. And we continue to serve him. And we continue to do the things that he wants us to do. Even when things are not the same. And they're harder. You say, what do I get out of it? Here's what you get. A million bucks in the mail. Amen. You want motivation? Here's motivation. He's going to tell you right here in the passage. This is beautiful. He says, the first thing I'm going to give you is, is I'm going to give you a crown of life. And if you've ever studied the crowns out, the different crowns in the Bible, it's not like we're going to get to heaven. He's going to pop these on our head and all of a sudden we're going to be walking around with all these crowns. This is the ability to reflect the glory of Christ in heaven. And we're going to cast them back at him. But it's really the, 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 the ability to reflect the glory of Christ back. And if you've ever studied the crown of life in, in, chapter, in James chapter 1, it talks about this. He says he promises a crown to those who love God through their suffering. Wow. It is those who continue to love God through their suffering. They get a what? A crown of life. They get the ability to reflect the glory of God in heaven forever and ever. You say, that doesn't excite me as much. Well, how about this one? He who has here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the what? You see, I don't know if you realize this, but we all have two choices here. We have a choice to be born once and to die twice. And if you think the physical death, the first death is hard. The second death, you don't want to face. 
That is eternal separation from God in a place of torment forever and ever. The Bible calls it hell and it's real. That's the second death. He said, I don't want the second death. Well, here's the other choice we have. We can be born twice and only die once. There's being born physically and then there's being born spiritually. The moment we accept Jesus Christ, when we realize that we're sinners and that he died for us on the cross, was buried and rose again, and we call upon him to save us, we are born again. See, see people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a I like asking this, are you born again? They look at me like, where's that in the Bible? Well, John 3, 3 says, you must be born again. Are you born again? They're like, oh, <laughs> oh, it is in the Bible somewhere. Yeah, it is. We need to be born from above. And when we're born from above, I love this. He uses New York grammar here. He who overcomes, it ain't no way, never, it ain't going to happen. That's, I'm using my Greek translation. It ain't going to happen, and in no way ain't going to no way happen. You ain't gonna, ever going to find it out, never. And, and You ain't going to find the second death. There we go. That's how it is. It's a double negative there. It's a powerful negative in the, in the Greek. You will never, ever be hurt by the second death, he's saying. So he says, don't fear. Because some of you are going to be hurt by the first death. But you're not going to be hurt by the second death. So what do you say to somebody who's struggling? You say this. You say, you know what? God's in control of our times. He's the first. He's the last. He's the one that was dead. And he's the one that rose again. We will rise again. You know what else we say? We say, you know what? He knows what's going on. I may not know much, but he knows exactly what you're going on. And you are spiritually rich. You have everything you need in Christ. And then we say, you know what? Stop fearing. You can't control what's going to happen. Stop fearing it. God's in control of that. But here's what he wants of you. Continue to do the things that he wants of you each day. Be faithful. Get up and pray. Read the scriptures. Be around God's people. Share the gospel. Be faithful to Christ. Because one day we'll stand before him. He'll give us a crown and reflect the glory of him. And you know what? No matter what happens, we'll never face a second death. So praise God for that. And so he looks at this church. Can you imagine the angel reading this to them? It's... Less and less people are there because they're being exiled or executed. And he's saying, wow, what an amazing God. When we think of communion, the question about communion is, are you born again? I don't mean, do you have a religious experience one day and all of a sudden, you know, you feel like God's on your side. No, are you born again? Have you put your trust in Christ alone for salvation? See, when we come before the Lord with this, we're remembering what he did for us. We're remembering that he died on the cross, was buried and he rose again. We're remembering the body that was broken for us. We're remembering the blood that was shed for us. We're remembering that every time we do this, we're proclaiming that one day he will come back. So let's take a few moments in our hearts and let's ask, 
Do I have a true relationship with Christ? Well, if not, now's the time. Now is the time. You can call upon Him right where you are. Let's take a few moments and just thank Him for what He has done on the cross in our hearts and ask Him to work there. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning and thank you for the wonderful passage of Scripture to a church who got no rebuke at all, just encouragement to remain faithful until their final breath. And God, for some of those, it wasn't pretty what happened to them. Yet, Lord, you called them to remain faithful. Lord, I look at the world we're living in right now and the, and the complaints that, that we're hearing about the different things that are being imposed on people. We don't realize how blessed we are. God, although it's very hard with some of these things, Lord, it's not life or death. It's not be exiled or executed. And yet there's some around the world that are facing that. There's some right now as we speak that are scared to even sing loud because they know if their voices are heard, the authorities could come in and take them away from their children and put them in places that they don't want to be. So Lord, help us while we can to continue to remain faithful to you to get up and to do the little things that you want us to do. Faithfulness is not about the really big things, it's about the little things. To pray to you, to, to read the scriptures, to show and share the love of Christ with those around us, to be around those who know you, to do the things that you want us to do. Because one day we will stand before you and God, we want to reflect your glory and we have an opportunity to do that. And the harder it gets, the more the opportunity we have to reflect your glory. And we want to thank you because of the death of Jesus Christ. That by accepting him, we will never be hurt by the second death. We praise you for that. And Lord, we pray for those who may be hurt by the second death, that today would be the day. If they've never called upon Jesus, that right now would be the time. That they would admit their sinners and believe that Jesus paid it all and accept him into their lives. We ask you, Lord, to do this. We thank you for what you have done. 
And we praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As we open up, and I forgot to ask the kids to come back up. I don't know if we need to ask the kids to come up or maybe it's too late. Johnny will do that. But as we think of the body that was broken for us on the cross, let's thank the Lord for the body that was broken for us. Rick, do you mind praying and thanking the Lord for his sacrifice on the cross for us? Father, thank you.